A couple of weeks ago after lunch, um, Andrea was talking to us, and she said, Dad, the funniest thing happened to church today. And I said, what? And she said, well, I bumped Scott halfway through your sermon. I said, look at Leon. Leon's sound asleep. And sure enough, right in the middle of one of my jokes, Leon went, I mean, who does that? Right? So you know what Scott said? Scott said, and you woke me up to tell me that? You know what I mean? Well, here's what I found out. Only 40 to 45% of you actually slept during my sermon two weeks ago. And that's down over recent weeks, so I appreciate that. And I don't know what's going on, the people are watching at home. But that tells me that you guys enjoyed the movie classic sermon. So I'm going to do another one this morning. And it's going to be based on this classic. Every Who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot. But the Grinch, who lived just north of Whoville, did not. The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Oh, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. Okay, so this morning, that's my favorite movie classic, by the way. But this morning, we're going to talk about a real live Grinch that tried to prevent the first Christmas 2,000 years ago. And of course, we're talking about King Herod, who a lot like the Grinch hated Christmas too. And I think pretty much for the same reason. His heart was all shriveled up. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, so you can grab a Bible in front of you if you want to, or your phone. By the way, those Bibles are there if you need them, or if you know somebody that needs one to get them out. And while you're turning there, either on the phone or the Bible, I think it's good for us to remember that, uh, Herod, we should identify a little bit with. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, sometimes we see him as the bad guy in the Christmas story, and we see ourselves as the good guys in the Christmas story. You know, we identify ourselves with Mary or Joseph or maybe the shepherds or the magi, but very few of us ever consider ourselves as King Herod sitting on the throne. Flannery O'Connor once said, it's hard to make your adversaries real people unless you can recognize yourself in them. And I think that's good. And I think it's good for us to remember that Herod's not just some kind of evil villain during the Christmas story, that he's us, one of us. You know, he was an innocent baby one time too an enthusiastic teenager one time too, and then he became a promising politician, and then he started to grow up like all of us have. But at some point, he gave in to the dark side, and his conscience became numb, and his heart shriveled up until it was three or four sizes too small. And while I admit that most of us in here don't do bad things like King Herod did, I think most of us in here would have to admit that we all have some Grinch-like tendencies in our lives too, especially during the Christmas season. So I want to think about that this morning. In fact, this is a good time to ask ourselves a good question as we start this morning. And, and that question is this, how is my heart? Is my heart shrinking right now because of all this COVID business and all the election business is still messing up and all the evil in Washington and all the garbage going on around us? Is my heart shrinking too? Or is my heart actually growing as I grow up in Christ? Proverbs 4.23 says, above all things, guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. Well, several years ago, Fred Craddock said that there are five snapshots of King Herod's life in this text, and we're going to look at them this morning, and here's the first one. Well, we're going to see a disturbed king. Verse 2, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? 
We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. I think it helps us better understand his reaction to all this, if we can be reminded of who he was, kind of his history. You hear the story every year, so most of you remember King Herod ruled in Palestine for about 40 years, and for the most part, he kept the peace, even though he did it through intimidation. Uh, History said he did have a few positive traits. Number one, he was a great builder. He erected lots of palaces and huge buildings. He rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem. He's very wealthy, according to history, and at times could be generous. One story they tell about a time he melted down his own gold plates and fed some starving people during a famine. We know on at least two occasions that he gave a significant tax cut to the people in Jerusalem. So, so he did have some good, but, but when you read his full history and the things that he did, man, for the most part, this guy was an egotistical power-hungry, evil, as Aladdin would say, two-faced son of a jackal. I mean, this was a nasty man. And, and he, he didn't like the title governor. So after seven years, Augustus gave him the title king. But he wasn't happy with the title king. He wanted to be called King Herod the Great. William Barclay, if you read about him in his commentary, he said that uh, King Herod is very suspicious too. From the time he took the throne, he thought people were out to get him. In fact, as soon as he took the throne, he immediately put to death the entire Jewish Sanhedrin. That's 72 people. He did keep two alive for personal reasons. During his reign, he put to death his two sons, Aristobulus and Alexander, because he thought they were both plotting to take the throne. He also killed his favorite wife, Miriam, because he thought she was plotting with the boys. He killed her mother, her brother, and her uncle. Augustus Caesar one time said it was safer to be one of Herod's pigs than it was to be one of his kids. And so by the time we get to this uh, part of the story, King Herod, he's an old man closing in on death, and his heart's all shriveled up almost to nothing. Now, the wise men come on the scene, and they've come from a long way off. The song says from afar, and they did. And so they didn't know much about King Herod. And and so they're innocently asking. They said, we saw this star, which signifies a great king. We'd like to know where he is. And the Bible says when King Herod heard that, he was disturbed in all of Jerusalem with him. When Ken Jong-un gets disturbed, all of North Korea gets disturbed too because they know what a ruthless dictator can do if he gets out of hand. It's the same thing here. When Jerusalem found out that he was upset, they all got upset because they realized this could be tough on everybody. Jesus disturbed Herod. And you know the truth is Jesus still disturbs people today who are trying to build their own personal kingdoms. Several years ago, Angie and I went on our first and only cruise. And as our 25th anniversary, Adam put us on to it and we went and we, we had a blast. And, and during the second night, there was a comedian and he was putting on a big show and they called Angie up on stage and just had a blast. She, they were laughing. She was laughing. Now, I think she was having fun too, although she, you know, she's so embarrassed. She's shaking her head no. But at some point, this guy started flirting with her. And, and he said, you know, you're so pretty, which of course she is. And he said, maybe after the show, when all this is done, you and I get together. Of course, he knew she was with me. And, and uh, she said, well, I don't think my husband would like that. And everybody laughed. And he said, yeah, that guy down there, that ugly guy is your husband? How did he get hooked up with you? I hear that a lot, by the way. But anyway, then he started in on me. And then he said, what's your husband do for a living? She said, he's a preacher. Oh, my goodness, you should have heard it then. Back and forth, and everybody's laughing. And it was fun. It really was fun. So about an hour and a half after the show was over, Angie and I got up, got dressed, and decided to go down and get a snack. And we got on the elevator, and it was packed, and everybody was laughing. And somebody said, hey, that's that gal that was up on stage, and that's her husband. He's a preacher. And as soon as they said that, man, you should have seen the people scatter. 
I mean, it felt like Rodney Dangerfield. I, I think they were scared I was going to preach or something. Like, I was going to mess up their crews talking about Jesus. Jesus disturbs people today. The truth is, people who want to build a kingdom of pleasure are going to find Jesus pretty disturbing because he said, you're to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. And that's a threat to anybody who's trying to take care of their own personal appetites. People who are wanting to build a kingdom of possessions are going to be disturbed by Jesus too because he said, don't, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. And that's a threat to somebody who's trying to build up their portfolio and surround themselves with possessions and money. Ambitious people trying to build a kingdom of power are going to find Jesus disturbing. He said, the greatest among you will be a servant to all. And that's going to be a threat to people who like to be in charge and always push people around. Proud people trying to build a kingdom of respectability are going to find Jesus very disturbing because he once said, unless you humble yourselves and become like little children, you don't have no part in the kingdom. And that threatens people who are seeking glory. Jesus threatens a lot of people today. He said, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their, e- their deeds were evil. Now, guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. A second snapshot of Herod is a deceitful king. Verse 4. When he'd called together all the prophets, chief priests, and teachers of the law, he asked them, where is the Christ to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be a shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go make a careful search for the child, and as soon as you find him, report back to me so I too can go worship him. Right. I mean, he had no more intentions of worshiping Jesus than the Grinch did to be in the real Santa Claus. He wanted to find him and kill him. We remember that in the story. Here's what sometimes we forget. Sadly, there are still people running around today who claim allegiance to Jesus for their own personal benefit. Jesus said, be on guard, be aware. Don't be deceived. Many people will will claim me and will claim my name. Don't be fooled. In fact, Jesus warned that some of the most dangerous enemies of the church will be people who who claim to be part of the church, part of the flock, but they're actually uh, wolves in sheep's clothing looking out for themselves. One of the reasons why I was so reluctant to go online, and while I still don't like being online, other than the fact that I steal all my material, is the fact that I grew up in the tele-evangelist age. And uh, I'm just telling you, a lot of them, I think most of them were crooks. And I've never watched myself preach one time online because I just can't can't stand that. Those people exploiting others in the name of Jesus. In fact, I heard a story one time uh, about uh, a TV evangelist, uh, a Hindu and a rabbi that went on a mission tour. They got lost and stopped at a farmhouse. The farmer said, well, I can put two of them up in the house. One of them is going to have to sleep in the barn. The Hindu said, well, I I can take care of that, boys. About 10 minutes later, there's a knock at the door as a Hindu, and he said... Man, I'm sorry, fellas, but there's a cow out there in the barn, and cows are sacred, and I can't sleep with the cow. The rabbi said, that's okay, I'll take care of it. He went out about 10 minutes later and knocked the doors. The rabbi, he said, fellas, I can't, I can't help it. There's a pig in the barn, and he said, I, they're unclean. I can't sleep with the pig. Uh, the TV evangelist said, I'll take care of that. About 10 minutes later, there's a knock on the door. It was the pig and the cow. The apostle Paul warned the efficient elders, after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you, and they won't spare the flock, he said. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Be on your guard, Paul says. Be on your guard. 
Don't give them money. Don't listen to their teaching. Don't be drawn into their deception because they're like King Herod. They claim to be part of the group, but they're really all out for themselves. I don't know, this might be a good time to ask ourselves another question. Do I ever do that? Do I ever come to church on Sunday morning claiming to be worshiping God, but really what I'm here for is some business contacts or to showcase my talent or to win a few votes or to find a date? Ah, that's a good question. Ronnie Decker, my brother-in-law, is down in Louisville. He says he's seen this several times. You go to a L game and they're playing UK, which are huge rivals. And he said they'll wear their red, but underneath they got blue on. And if it gets towards the end of the game, it looks like UK's winning. They'll take their red shirts off and start chanting, go big blue. And he said he's seen it the other way too. Now, the sad thing about that is there's a lot of Christians running around like that today. Chameleons. They adapt to the environment. And we've got to ask ourselves that question. Is that us? You ever find yourself being real careful how you talk at church? But then when you get at work or with the guys, profanity just flies. You ever find yourself looking up uh, scripture text during my sermon on your phone or your laptop or Bible study or youth group and then get home and use that same device to look up something pornographic? Ever, any of us ever guilty of coming to worship on Sunday morning just to be inspired? Hoping the sermon's good and the music's good, see what I can get out of it instead of coming to lift up the name of Jesus Christ like we're supposed to? We ever catch ourselves wanting to wear the title Christian, but choose our own entertainment, manage our own money, vote the way we want to, raise our kids the way we want to, on and on and on. See, we need to remind ourselves that kind of hypocrisy shrivels up the heart. It messes with you bad, and it happens quickly. You mark it down and watch it happen. Guard your hearts above all else. They're the wellspring of your life. Third snapshot of Herod is a deceived king. Verse 9. After they'd heard... After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they'd seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Now, we call these magi wise men, and very appropriate they really were. And this, by the way, is also how we know for absolute certainty, all the commentaries agree, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that these wise men did not come from the state of Kentucky. And you know why. Because there's never been three wise men at one time in the state of Kentucky, ever. But anyway, these guys were wise enough to bow down to Jesus and, and also wise enough not to bow down to King Herod. They were wise enough to hear instruction from God and wise enough to follow instruction from God. These are pretty sharp cookies we're talking about. Verse 16. When Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. Isn't that funny? King Herod the liar got lied to and he didn't like that. And that's the way it normally is. Liars don't like to be lied to. But here's the truth. God only lets us get away with stuff for so long. Galatians 6, 7 says, don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. Whatever you reap, that's what you're going to sow. Now, I've seen that in my own life so many times. I've seen it in others, and I'm sure you have too. People get away with things for a long time, but eventually what they sow, they reap. Eventually what comes around goes around. Eventually, the Bible says, your sins will find you out. Remember when Jacob was young, he dressed up like his brother and deceived his dad and got his dad to give him the entire inheritance? Remember that? He lied to him. Well, a few decades later, Jacob was an old man, 
And ten of his sons sold their brother, his favorite, into slavery, ripped his coat, put animal blood on it, and then claimed he got eaten by a wild animal. And, and he grieved over that loss, that lie for 20 years. What, what goes around? I was thinking earlier this week about, of all things, the Marlboro Man. And, and I'm, not, I'm not quite so sure that's not one of the reasons why I smoke, because, why well, I did smoke it, I haven't for years. But, I, you know, I loved Westerns, and I can still play the music in my mind and see the Marlboro Man riding across the, smoking a cigarette. You know, he died of emphysema. He used his talents to get, get people to smoke, and then he died of smoking. You know, what goes around? I was talking earlier about TV evangelists. I remember Jimmy Swigert. He spent the whole year pounding and pounding and pounding about adultery and fornication. He did a six-week sermon series on adultery, and then the next week was caught in a hotel room with a prostitute. Your sins will find you out, the Bible says. Sometimes quickly, sometimes a long time, but they always come home. And we need to think about that. You know, if you make fun of old people when you're young, be careful. Because one of these days you're going to be old too. Maybe they're going to make fun of you. You know, if you sow seeds of deception in your business practice, don't you be at all surprised if you've got clients that don't trust you. If you sow impure thoughts and impure TV viewing and impure internet connection, uh, don't be surprised if you reap a mediocre marriage or worse. But for most of us, what we got to think about is if you sow mediocrity in your spiritual commitment, you're going to reap a heart that starts to shrink and happens quickly. Above all else, guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. Almost done. A fourth snapshot, a vengeful king, verse 16. When Herod realized he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time that he'd learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because there are no more. Now listen, you, it doesn't get much lower than to kill a baby at, at any place, at any time, at any age. In fact, Jesus said, it's better to have a millstone tied around your neck and cast in the sea than it is to harm one of these little ones. Maybe we ought to take that message to some of the clinics. Maybe I ought to worry about that some other sermon. I'm not going to go there. This is bad stuff. Now, most of the commentaries I read said there were probably 20 babies because Bethlehem's a pretty small area. But J. Vernon McKee said years ago that the cry was in Ramah, which was actually 10 miles away, which means probably a whole lot more babies involved. It really doesn't matter how many. One's way too many. This is horrific stuff. I bring you good news of great joy, the angel said. And it's just hard to believe that such good news has such brutal enemies. But let's be honest, that's still going on today. Jesus Christ is bringing some brutal enemies on the scene, and it's getting worse all the time. I read uh, that a college professor during a recent election told his kids in class that all these people that are voting for their moral values, we ought to just take K-47s and mow them all down. I mean, it's hard to believe that Christianity is under such intense opposition in our country. Part of it, we were warned it would happen. Part of it, I think, is on us for not representing Jesus Christ lovingly like we should. But part of it is, it doesn't have anything to do with us at all. It's Christ in us. You know, you're the light of the world. This is a sorry, dark world right now. You, you ever have um, an unbeliever? Um, in your family that 
loves to come and see you, but just doesn't seem like they're there very long. They can't get away fast enough. What's up with that? Or you got a friend has been a friend for years, and they're not a believer. seems like every time you get together, it's not very long until they're wanting to start an argument somewhere. Or you got some people at school or at work that just want to avoid you completely because you're a Christian. Why is that? Because you're the light of the world, and the world's dark right now. And here's the thing about the light of Jesus Christ. People are drawn to it like a moth to a flame. But as soon as the moth gets there, it gets burned up. And the same thing. People want to be around you because you've been around Jesus Christ. But they're around you for a little bit, and the light's bright and intense, and it shines their life up, and they don't like it anymore. What are we going to do with that? We're going to keep shining our lights. We're the city on the hill. and guard our hearts. One final snapshot of Herod is a dead king. Verse 19. After Herod died, an angel Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, and he said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and he went to the land of Israel. Josephus, the, the Jewish historian, said that King Herod's death was gruesome. I guess he had an ulcered, uh, ulcerated body, and he just kind of rotted. It was nasty. But here's what he did. About two weeks before his, his death, he had several of the area's prominent citizens locked up. And the idea was, on the day he, was, he died, he was going to have all of them executed. Because he knew nobody would mourn his death, he figured at least there would be some mourning going on. Well, he died, and according to history, all of those people were released, and there was a lot of joy that went on because of that. But you know, the sad thing to me in all this with Herod is that he never repented. You know, you watch the Grinch... And by the time the story's over, he's sitting down in Whoville with the Who's having roast beast, and he's just, everything's happy. Didn't turn out that way for Herod. He never gave in to the one who came, gave up everything to save him. And we can't know for sure, but it certainly appears like Herod died, slipped into eternity without Jesus and no hope at all. I got to quit. A lot of things should enlarge our hearts and make them grow during the Christmas season. All the stuff we got. All the stuff around our trees, all the money we have, all the goodness and blessings, the health that most of us have, even the pain that we've gone through. Some of us have gone through a lot of pain this year, but we've grown through it. Even that we should be thankful for. But I think the thing that should enlarge our hearts more than anything else is the reality of our death. King Herod, man, he was one of the wealthiest, most powerful men on the planet. He died because that's what happens. And I don't care who you are, what your title is, or how much you got. You're going to die one of these days, and it's all going to stay right here. It's appointed unto each man wants to die, and then to face the judgment, Hebrews 9.23 says. And I think we ought to think about that during this Christmas season, as we get ready to take this communion, what he really did for us. I had a friend in Plainfield, uh, as I was growing up, became a teenager. He lived next door, and uh, he was about, I don't know, probably 15 years older than me, Ed Daly. He was a bachelor. And him and I struck up a friendship when I was 17, 18 years old, and it ain't went for years. Um, we got very close, but he was a non-believer. And we would talk, spend a lot of time together, and any time I'd try to take a, sh a shot, uh, I'd say something about Jesus, he'd say immediately, hey, let's run into town and get, uh, let's just get knocked down, stone drunk, and pick up some chicks. And I'd say, come on, Ed, you know me better than that say, yeah, you know me better than that. I won't talk about that. You don't talk about Jesus. Okay. Well, that went on for years. And at 49 years old, he got prostate cancer. And they didn't get it in time. And it was terminal. 
Funny thing, he started listening then. Not a lot, but he let me talk. And I spent a lot of time, go out to his house quite a bit. And uh, we got about two weeks out. We didn't know it was two weeks out, but it turned out to be. And uh, I saw things coming to, to an end. And I said, I just kind of got bold one day. I said, Ed, I'm just going to tell you, from where I'm sitting, things don't look good to me. He said, they're not. And I said, you do believe that, that Jesus is the Son of God, don't you? Yeah. You've seen what he's done for my life and Angie's life. Yeah. Well, would you like to accept him as your personal Lord and Savior today? And he said, I don't know. That blew me away. Here's a guy that knew the truth, believed the truth, and still wouldn't act on it. And I said, Ed, I went like that. And he said, you think I'm a ding-dong head, don't you? And I said, I think you're an idiot. That's not a real good evangelistic tool, I will tell you that. (laughs) But him and I laughed about it. And long story short, he accepted Christ on Thursday, and he, and he, he went to be home with Jesus on Monday, which is amazing. That's an 11th hour Christian. Here's my hope this morning. That as we come to this table and we come to this season, that we remember that's what this is all about. This, our life through Jesus Christ. His broken body and His shed blood. And my other hope and prayer this morning is if there's anybody in here or anybody watching today that has not pulled the trigger, knows the truth and still hasn't done anything about it, please don't pull an Ed daily. He got the shot off right at the buzzer, but it could have gone the other way. You make your decision today. Today is the day of salvation right now. So come and spend some time with the joy of the season, Jesus.